everybody to the Coaches Collective. It's great to be with you again. I'm Dan Casey along with Derek Perkins and Chris Maleo, and we are fortunate enough to be on with the 2020 AFCA Assistant Coach of the Year, uh, Defensive Coordinator from the University of Pittsburgh, Randy Bates. We're so fired up to have him on the podcast with us. He's uh, very close with Chris Maleo, and we're going to let Chris uh, Chris kick it off and introduce Coach Bates. Coach Bates, uh, it's wonderful to have you on. I, I would say it's it's an honor, one of the best coaches that I know. Uh, I want to start, though, the podcast with, with you sharing a little bit about your background going from a basically retired Navy lieutenant to becoming one of the best defensive coordinators in college football. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty simple. My dad was a high school teacher and coach, and quite frankly, uh, I pretty much thought that was what I would do for a living is be a high school teacher and coach. And uh, I was blessed to uh, be able to volunteer at Miami of Ohio. And uh, while I was at Miami of Ohio coaching there, I met a gentleman by the name of uh, Dean Pease. And Dean was the defensive coordinator and has been my mentor for most of my life. Um, Coach Pease just currently came out of retirement to be the defensive coordinator for the Falcons, but he was the Fal- he was the uh, Tennessee Titans uh, defensive coordinator previously, and then before that he was with uh, with the uh, Patriots. So anyway, make a long story monotonous. I uh, was a GA there, and uh, then I left to go to a little Division three school or Division II school, St. Joseph's College, which I was such a great coach that uh, they disbanded, not the football program, but the entire school. So it's not even a school anymore, (laughs) uh, embarrassingly enough. And then from there, uh, Coach Pease, who at the time had left Miami to go to the Naval Academy, got me hired at the Naval Academy. That's where I became a, uh, an officer in the Navy. And then, uh, I was also able to coach while I was there. And then uh, from there, I went to the University of New Hampshire, uh, where I was coaching the linebackers. And, you know, I'm the most infamous coach ever coming from there. The head coach is in the College Football Hall of Fame. And actually, one of my GAs is Chip Kelly, who's the head coach at uh, UCLA and was was the head coach of the Falcons in Oregon and so forth and so on. So, amazing. from there, uh, I went to Kent State with Coach Pease, who became the head coach there, and he hired me. And then uh, one of my office mates, Jack Bicknell Jr., who was actually Doug Flutie's center. If you remember the immaculate reception, Miami versus Boston College, where Flutie threw it in the end zone. Uh, Jack was the one who missed the tackle or missed the block. That's why Flutie had to scramble. And... Uh, <laughs> So he made Flutie uh, a lot of money by being not very good. But uh, don't tell him I said that. And then uh, from there, I went from Louisiana Tech up to Northwestern, where I was at for 12 years with Coach Fitzgerald. And we we had a lot of wins and uh, we had some really good players. Uh, I had to leave there because I was told that we had such a fine linebacker as Chris Maleo and I couldn't make him all league. So I had to leave to come to Pittsburgh. So, and, uh, been at Pittsburgh now three years going on my fourth. 
Well, coach, what, one of the things that I think really resonates with me and as I've kind of shared my experiences with you as a player, um, you know, I think especially that's uncommon in college football today is just how you, you're, you're really all about relationships. Um, you know, you've had us over your house for dinner. You know, I know your wife, I know your daughters, like I'm very close. We had dinner last year at AFCA and our, and I mean, you know, I've been, what do we graduate in 2008 and you and I still keep in touch to this day. We still text each other back and forth. You know, we still, we still pick up right where we left off. Um, and that's something that I admire about you. And that's not something that I think is common in college football. Can you talk a little bit about your style and, and where that, that derived from? Because I mean, you really are, I'd say a player's coach. You, you really care about the players, their future and the, and the relationships that you build with them. Yeah, Chris, I, I would say that, uh, when I was growing up, one of my idols in college football or coaching was a guy named Woody Hayes. And Woody Hayes' mantra was, you win with people. Mm. And I truly believe that my career has continued to, you know, I guess get better, if you will, because of people. It's not me that, you know, I'm the AFC A assistant coach of the year, but I'm totally aware that it's not me that got that. It's all those guys who are doing the dirty work day to day. Uh, that have gotten me that. And, and I'm totally aware that the beauty of college football is you can't do anything just as one person, you know, it's a team thing. And, and yeah. uh, so I, I think, you know, you play basketball and if you got the right guy, you can probably win with one guy. Well, you can't do that in football. And, and so we have to collectively find a way as a group, to be successful. And so whether it's me with my coaches here at Pitt or whether it's the players, um, you know, they, they have to believe in me. I have to believe in them. And the only way I can do that, quite frankly, is for me to get to know them and get to understand them and them trust me and me trust them. And, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a successful, uh, you know, course for me, but Frankly, it's it's just a matter. I love the idea of being able to coach and then watch guys like yourself come in with their wife and their kids and be successful. Uh, that to me is my legacy in coaching is guys like you, Chris, leaving Northwestern and becoming successful in life that ultimately all those wins and all those rings and stuff you get you know, they'll probably get thrown into my grave and nobody will give two craps about it. But all those relationships are what, you know, last forever. And hopefully with everybody I've touched that I've given them something to help them to be successful in life, not just football. Man, well, well, Coach Bates, it's obvious in talking with Chris and hearing about his relationship with you and all that you've invested in him. Uh, you're, you're, you're a special guy. And we, me and Derek have enjoyed hearing those stories and, and hearing some, uh, just some of who you are, um, how, how much you care about your family, how much you care about your, your players. Um, but one of the, maybe the most inspiring stories that has come, uh, that is kind of attached to your name now is, um, is what happened last year in, in 20, or I guess two years ago in 2019, when you, um, overcame and battled through cancer. Uh, can you tell us a little bit what that was like battling that, disease, um, but doing it in the midst of, of your team and what kind of support did you get 
um, from your players and from, from your coaches sure. that was able, and your family as well, that was able to help you overcome in such a miraculous way. Yeah. Well, I, I would say, uh, first of all, I'm going to say to everybody listening, go get a physical because I think we as especially males have a tendency to think we're invincible, especially at you guys' age and, and you're not. And if you don't take care of yourself, uh, you know, it, it can cost you. And I, ironically, in my entire career, I've never worked anywhere where we had to go get physicals. And uniquely enough, Coach Narduzzi, my head coach's dad, Bill, Nar- I believe it was Bill Narduzzi, was the head coach at Youngstown, was a pretty famous coach and ended up dying of cancer and kind of let himself go, you know, never, never got physicals. Yeah. So I come to Pitt thinking I'm going to be the defensive coordinator. And quite frankly, I have total faith that the reason I came to, to Pitt is not to be the defensive coordinator, but to save my life because wow. Coach Narduzzi demands that everybody on our staff get a physical every year. And I remember sitting down after spring break and he turned to me and said, Bates, you haven't gotten your physical yet. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't have time for this. I I got, we're getting ready for spring practice and yada, yada, yada. So anyway, I, I pounded and pissed and moaned down to see the doctor and doctor found like a little lump on my neck. And he's like, well, I don't think it's any big deal, but let's go get an x-ray. X-ray went to a biopsy. Biopsy went to uh, MRI, PET scan, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, at that point, I knew I was in trouble. So anyway, they found cancer. And uh, so I had to go in and I had 112 stitches in my neck because they went in, pulled out 100 uh, lymph nodes in my neck, thinking that, you know, they want to get them all. Fortunately, it turned out it was only in one lymph node. So we caught it early. And um, so then from June until really almost the end of that football season, I had to go in for chemotherapy and radiation. And to be honest with you, it wasn't me that made it through. Uh, my, my coaches and players, frankly, were, were the reason that I was able to make it every day. There were certainly days where I would come in and I would speak to the defense. I don't coach a position. And so I literally talked to the defense for 10 minutes. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're putting in. And then I would go in my office and literally pass out for about 15, 20 minutes. I scared the crap out of one of our GAs one time because he walked in to put something on my desk and found me laying on the floor, which wasn't uncommon. It just had to catch my, <laughs> catch my breath. But, you know, the coaches just did a great job of being positive with me. You know, they could tell days I was hurting pretty bad and they would, they would pick up the slack. I thought the, the coolest thing or the neatest thing uh, about being on a team is that we have players 18 to 22 and I would be walking down the hall certain days hurting pretty bad. At one point I'd lost about 30 pounds. I'm sure I looked, I'm not exactly uh, look like Atlas at it, as it is. So 30 pounds doesn't do me much good, but Patrick Jones and Rashawn Weaver, both are at the uh, senior bowl today. They're both first round or uh, first team, all Americans at defensive end. So they're large bodies. 
And I can remember walking down the hall and each one of them putting their arm around me and saying, you okay today, coach? Hang in there. You know, those kind of things. And wow. quite frankly, that got me through it for, for three, four months. And, uh, you know, it was nice to be able to go to work every day because I don't know if I could have done it sitting at home because it kind of took my mind off of it, to be frank with you. For sure. Amazing. Coach, that's awesome to hear. <clears throat> um, you know, I think the other thing I'll just bring up, which I thought was really pretty cool. We have a, if you think about our football family with trainers, academic people, uh, sports information and the players. And we probably have about 200 people. And when I found out, I stood up in front of the team, this would have been uh, in the spring. And I said, guys, this is my battle. I would prefer we just keep this within the football family. And I'm really, honestly, I, all I could visualize is we're playing Notre Dame or somebody and they're interviewing me and they're not talking about our team or our players, they're asking me about myself. And so we went all the way through the football season. And until I found out, which was when we were getting ready to play a bowl game that I didn't have cancer anymore, nobody knew about it. And so I, 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 that just tells you a lot about how close our football team is, that they would keep that silent. Wow. That's amazing. Coach, you know, one thing we've talked about, and obviously kind of on the, on, from a defensive perspective, working under a guy like Pat Narduzzi, who's well known for his work at Michigan State um, and now as a head coach, what's, what's it like as a defensive coordinator working um, under a guy that's so well known in the defensive community? And he, he's obviously a defensive guy himself. Sure. Well, honestly, I came to Pitt to learn his defense, which – at my age was not easy because I have a lot of things that, you know, are what I do. And, but at Northwestern, we had a far different defense, probably a little less aggressive, a little more, maybe what you'd call uh, bend, but not break. And all those years, and Chris would know, we would watch Michigan state and they would be very aggressive, a lot more blitzing. And so that's kind of my personality. And so when Coach Narduzzi called and asked if I would be interested, truthfully, I jumped at the opportunity because I wanted to learn his defense. And I would say he probably would say I probably am e even more aggressive than maybe he was. But it's a fun defense. Uh, the last couple of years, we've led the country in sacks and tackles for loss and you know, I think we were third in the country in rushing defense. And, you know, we've been in the top 20 both years. But the thing that's fun about it is that it's aggressive. And I think for us, for the most part, the kids have fun doing it because, you know, we're blitzing a lot. It's very multiple. It's just fun to play in, quite frankly. Yep. Yeah, no, that's uh... – funny you, you talk about having so much fun so you get you got to tell us the story so chris chris says you're a uh, you're a big time cat guy and you, you've got a cat video that really gets gets your guys going so get, what's what's the what's the story there um as far as i say that again i'm sorry i just i was i had chris, a truck chris going. chris says you've got a legendary cat video that you that you oh yeah well what we talk about is how we tackle which is 
pretty much throw your body. If you can imagine yourself ever long jumping, you run down the board, you run down and you hit the board, you put your foot on the board and then you, you literally throw your body, right? So I don't know. I'm watching this. I, I would guess maybe somebody sent it to me, but it's <laughs> literally a cat. Uh, there's a one cat is like making fun of another one. And this one cat literally just pounces on the other one. And that's, that's basically <laughs> how I teach tackling because I don't know how to do it, but I, love it. I do know that that visualization seemed to help the guys to figure out exactly how I wanted them to do it. So yes, sir. just <laughs> throw your body, I guess, be aggressive and, you know, see what happens. It's, uh, you know, one of the things I think that I, I, amongst the many things I admire about you is you are an awesome dad and husband. And, you know, obviously you talked a little bit about your journey with cancer. I think sometimes like something like that can certainly provide perspective for people and they can, you know, they can change, especially in the coaching profession where there's, you know, there's such a demand on your time and the hours away from your family, but you've always made it a priority to make your family first. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that's been like for you? Cause you're, you're having incredible success at the highest level, but you haven't done so to sacrifice your relationship with your daughters, your wife. Um, can you, can you kind of share a little bit about what are some of the things you've done, the strategies you've had, you've had, or that you've implemented to make sure that you stay consistent as a father and a husband? Sure. I, I, I would say number one, marrying the right wife is critical. And as you know, Chris, my wife tells me what to do, which is awesome. Um, I have, I have two of my three daughters are doctors and the third one probably will be a millionaire. She works at Ernst and Young at 24 and is highly successful. But so that, that all falls on my wife and having great intelligence. But, um, you know, I, I think the thing that my wife and I set out to do a long time ago is we decided that this was the path we're going to take and that I was going, you know, I was going to pursue, you know, basically my passion. And my wife is a registered nurse and could have probably been a tremendous doctor had we gone the other path. But we've done it together and we do it together. And I would say to those out there with families and children, I think the thing that has made our kids successful is that we were not their friends. We were their parents. And I think in this day and age, there's a lot of people who just want their kids to, to be their friends. And, you know, it's, it's like when your child is two years old and they run out in the street, you, you got to teach them right from wrong. And if you're their friend, sometimes that, that just doesn't happen. And so I would highly recommend that Number one, that you and your wife with raising children are on the same page because one will play one on the other. And if you're not totally on the same page, then, you know, they'll get away with murder. The other thing is I I would say for you younger guys like you guys that I'm talking with here, it's amazing how technology changes and how your children are far ahead of you. Um, Good example cell phones came out when we were in when when our kids were junior high age so they end up getting a cell phone well what was happening with one of my daughters was they were waking up and not they hadn't slept all night because they were on the phone 
texting and all that kind of stuff. And so my wife and I decided we were going to take their phone. Well, the one daughter was still having trouble sleeping and we couldn't figure it out. Turns out, I didn't even know there was this thing called SIM cards. And so the daughter was smart enough at junior high age to take the SIM card out and then give my wife her phone. And then she was throwing the SIM card in a older phone and using that at night. So, uh, I mean, that, that's schemed. a very, and yeah. And then we had to take the iPad away and all those things and <laughs> they hate it anyway, but at least it forced them to sleep. But the bottom line is they're one step ahead of you. Now, what it'll be for your children will be something totally different. But at one point you'll go, wow, that's pretty damn smart. I'm pretty impressed by that. But <laughs> now you're grounded. <laughs> Well, coach, as a, as a father, obviously you're, uh, you're fighting a battle on that front. And as a coach, you're trying to keep up with some of these, these offenses that are doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, you know, it seems like every day there's something new out there, uh, whether it's on Twitter or the internet or passing around at a clinic or something like that. One of the things that we noticed in looking at you guys play defense is you, and you had mentioned it a little bit earlier, just how aggressive you are, um, you know, blitzing, but even, even in your base defense, when you, when you guys have, you know, four down linemen, those guys are getting off the ball aggressively They're, you know, everything seems to be happening at full speed for you guys, which is, it's really fun to watch when you're, um, you're digging into it. But I, I was just kind of wondering um, from a, from a coaching perspective, um, you know, what is it about uh, like, what, how do you instill that mentality in your athletes to, to play with that kind of aggressiveness? And then um, as a coach, you know, do you, do you lose sleep with bringing, you know, six man pressures? Cause you guys do do that kind of stuff a lot. Like how do sure. you balance, you know, containing these offenses, but also being aggressive and, and making plays on the other side of the line of scrimmage, like you were saying, tackles for loss and sacks and all of those things. Well, you talked about, you know, losing sleep and all that. And shoot, I sleep like a baby during football season. Uh, I wake up every two hours and cry. So, um, <laughs> with, like you said, with the, with the new offenses and this year having to play Notre Dame and Clemson both, and they're both in our league, but, uh, you know, I, I think that here's a good example of how I may be a little different than others. And what we don't ever chart missed tackles. And Chris, I don't know if we were doing that. I doubt when you were playing, this was what we did. But we started to do it at the end of my career at my previous school is how can I make you get you know, missing tackles and me charting them only gives you the impression as a player that I don't want to show up on Sunday after a game and get yelled at every time I miss a tackle because wow. I don't think there's anybody in the country who hasn't missed a tackle. So we don't chart missed tackles because I think it uh, handcuffs kids into being more worried about missing a tackle than making a tackle. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so we don't chart a missed tackle. We only chart a passive missed tackle. So if you run up to make a tackle and stop, then that's a missed tackle. If you wow. run up and shoot your gun and miss the tackle, now we may have to coach you up on angles and all that, but our thought process is if you go that hard and that fast, 
whoever has the ball will have to stop and adjust. And then obviously the other 10 guys who we demand pursuit, which you practice all the time, should get there and, and make the play work. So that's where maybe our mindset would be uh, slightly different than others. The other thing I talk about all the time, I don't know if you know who it was last year. Uh, I, I forget the names of the guys, but I had one of our GAs pull out the leading tacklers in college football the last three years. And they were guys that you've never heard of and still haven't heard of. Because number one, if you're leading the country in tackles, you're probably not very good on defense. That makes sense because you get more opportunities. Right. You don't ever see the guy at Alabama, one of those linemen or linebackers leading the country in tackles because they don't have to play as many snaps. Now, fast forward that. The guys who led the country in sacks and tackles for loss and interceptions and caused interceptions and caused fumbles, I had him pull all those guys out. And it was fascinating. They're, they were all first, second, third, or fourth round draft choices. And they're guys you would know in the NFL now. Amazing. So yeah. The, yeah. the point of the matter is don't go make a play. Go make a big play. And why is that so good for me as a D coordinator? Because it's a lot easier on second and 12 to make a call than second and five. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we really emphasize going, shoot your gun, go make a big play. And, you know, I think the three guys that are at the, at the uh, senior bowl that, this year, one of them was in the top five in interceptions and the two DNs led the country in sacks. Wow. And we had Servasier Dennis, who Chris recommended, who was a linebacker for us, who really never started a game. How about this? He was a rotator at all three linebackers as a young guy. Didn't start a game, but probably played as many snaps as all three of the starters. Was, was third team all ACC and never started a game. You know why? Because wow. he led the team in tackles for loss. So it's a great example of, you know, go make big plays. Don't just make tackles five yards downfield. Amazing. So, yeah. So that's, that's really our mindset. Truthfully. I love it. Cool. Coach talking about tackles for loss. Tell us a little about um, coaching a guy like James Harrison back at Kent state. Oh, yeah. Well, the beautiful thing about James was that I coached James his first and second year at Kent. And James wasn't even actually on the team at the time and wasn't going to play. And I was talking to a freshman linebacker in my office and I'm sitting there talking to him. And he points to this guy out outside the window and said, that's probably the best football player on campus. And I'm like, who the heck is he? And so he, he explained it. And so myself and the head coach went out and talked to him into coming out. And so his first year, I probably got fired pretty much every day for something he did because he was far above ornery, if you want to put it mildly. 
<laughs> and then the second year, he was a little bit better, started to, you know, mold into what he should do every day, doing the right thing. And then sure enough, I left to go to Louisiana Tech and didn't get to uh, reap the rewards of, if you will, reining him in. I don't know if he was a bucking Bronco who, you know, needed some reining in and uh, you know, then obviously he figured it out those next two years and was all league. And then he went to the, uh, the Steelers. And quite frankly, I don't think he made it exactly right away at the Steelers. I think he right. got cut four or five times. I know, I know coach Tomlin told me that, uh, he talked back a couple of times and they cut his ass and then they brought him back and <laughs> stuff like that, which, you know, he, he's a really a great, great person, but he's got that scary scary side too that you know gotta you gotta keep him uh keep him focused no doubt coach we um we know a lot about you know the you know your defense and you know your philosophical approach but you the last two stops you've had you obviously you've been at northwestern with pat fitzgerald and now with coach narduzzi who are both uh high energy like really uh, like kind of in your face in a positive way type guys um, can you talk a little bit about the culture at Pitt and kind of like what you guys have established since you arrived and what you're, what you're trying to introduce to the, the new, the new players that are coming in? Sure. Well, I, I think for us on defense, obviously we're trying to teach them how to be more aggressive. Uh, but as a, as a group that, that really is coach Narduzzi, what he wants to get across as a, as a team is that, you know, we are going to be aggressive on offense and defense. And so really the, the culture is to be aggressive and then to, to be professional in what you do. And really where that comes into play is that we are in a duplex with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I walk into the, to the uh, facility every day, right beside coach Tomlin and Ben Roethlisberger and, and Ryan Cesar, all those guys. And so our players have the benefit of watching professionals work every day. And so they get a mindset of how to, how to work in a professional manner. Uh, we're also really blessed here that uh, Aaron Donald comes back and works out in our weight room all off season. So he's in there wow. from 11 to one every day. And the man is, is there's nobody I've seen that works harder and more diligent and just a real great, great person along with just a great football player. And so our kids. Weight room. So they get to see that too. So we certainly steer them that direction. Yeah, without a doubt, coach. That's that's really cool to be able to to kind of be a fly on the wall for some of the these professional guys. Um, you know, plus you know, the guys, the the other neat thing about Pitt, and I'm an older man, but the greats who have have played at Pitt, they they come back all the time. I mean, Taj yeah. Boyd was over here yesterday. I had never met him. I had no idea who he was, and uh, but. You know, I got to meet Jimbo Covert and Dan Marino. They come come in all the time, and quite frankly, they knew I had cancer. And I, they probably stopped in three or four times during the year, and we were really playing great on defense that year. And 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 they just stopped in and just 
you know, really they didn't care about football. They were just asking how I was doing. And, you know, then you have Larry Fitzgerald. And you think about the guys that are probably going to go in the NFL that are just finishing with Larry Fitzgerald and, uh, uh, you know, Aaron Donald. Uh, geez, what's the corner from the Jets? Just retired. Revis. Yeah, I mean, it's just one after another. And they just walk in. It's so cool to meet all these people. It, it, that's, that's the thing that I get the biggest kick out of because these are some pretty famous people. And, you know, they know my name. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> I don't know why they... They would want to, you know, it's kind of like winning the AFCA coach of the year. I keep waiting for somebody to call and say they screwed up. The next guy on the list was the one who really won. <laughs> well, I, I highly doubt that. But coach, we, me, Chris and Derek, we we're all, you know, young high school coaches, mostly on the offensive side of the ball. And I really wanted to ask you this question. Uh, I always love asking this question to defensive guys, but say tomorrow, uh, hopefully this doesn't happen to you, but say tomorrow you get to take over a high school program. Um, and obviously you, you're you steeped in the defensive side of the ball, but what kind of offense are you installing to pair with your defense? Uh, well, I, I would put it to you this way. I think what you do, in high school or college. Now, college being a little different because I can go out and recruit to what I want to do. But I think the biggest mistake people do in high school, because you can't pick your players. They are there. They show up unless you're at a private school. But uh, so you have to use the talent you have. And so I think it's I think it's really, really difficult for me to say one thing or another sure. because it, it just depends on what you have. If you have one great player, you want him to have the ball the most, right? So he's probably going to play quarterback and right. you want him to catch the ball and run with it and throw it or whatever he does best. Uh, you know, if you, if you have a great running back, he obviously is what you're going to do. You're probably going to go two tight ends and just let him run the crap out of it or spread them out and run it. If you right. got a great quarterback and wide outs, then you probably should throw it. Uh, you know, so uh, it's hard for me to tell you which one is best because I think you have to, the best high school coaches are the ones that see their talent, figure out what their kids can do well, and then accentuate that by the offense they're running. And if you just do the same one year in and year out, you're probably going to be inconsistent because the kids talent wise are going to vary from year to year. And so I hate to, to, you know, deflect that question, but I truly believe, and I don't think, uh, frankly, we're trying to figure out who we're going to be next year on defense after having lost, you know, two first team all Americans at defensive end. So we're going to have to do some different things. And that's what we're trying to figure out now is what can our kids do? And then how can we change the defense to make them successful? So I don't know if that answers your question. No, I love it. I love it. Coach, who, who, uh, besides, uh, you know, obviously, you know, what you're learning from coach Narduzzi, who are teams that you're watching in the off season? Who are you studying? What are you looking at? Um, Well, I tell you you what, I, I watch a lot of the NFL stuff, Chris. I just talked to Anthony Walker uh, today from the, the middle linebacker from the Colts, oh, yep. uh, who I coached there at Northwestern after you. 
and they're doing some different things. And their defensive coordinator, Matt Eberflus, I've known for a long time. And so I probably spend more time looking at NFL because I think they're maybe one step ahead. Now, the thing you got to do in the NFL is that they're, they're, that's their job. So they have more time to get it right. So you have to take what they do, water it down a little bit for college. But right. there's some schemes that you see. Uh, as you go along, I, I remember when I was at New Hampshire, we would watch the Steelers and Dick LeBeau was the defensive coordinator. And I always thought he was one step ahead of everybody else. So that's that's kind of probably what I spend most of my time watching. Mm, mm, absolutely. Hey, one, one other thing before we close out, Coach, is and I want you to share this with, with these listeners, is I, I, I was playing indoor football. Obviously, I had a circuitous career in college played many different positions, was an athlete. But uh, one thing I will never forget is I was playing in the indoor football league and, uh, you know, was playing on a team in Pennsylvania, come up to Chicago, and there you were sitting in the front row watching me play, um, something that meant so much to me to have you there. Share with these listeners about what a treat it was for you to watch me play quarterback and how talented I was. Because I, I think people need to know that. Chris, they had the best hot dogs at that game. <laughs> ever <laughs> no quite frankly it wasn't just me it was my whole family you were we all came That's we right. were all there it was a great kick and to my surprise you weren't playing linebacker which you played for me you were playing quarterback <laughs> and and we're hitting the wide receivers with the ball that was the the biggest kick I think you, amazing and now this was arena <laughs> ball so it was like a what a 40 yard field and shit, I think you threw for like 600 yards or some ridiculous amount. So it was crazy. And then, and then obviously, if you guys, you guys know Chris, but he'd throw a touchdown and then he'd be talking some major crack to the, uh, to the other team. So no way. It sounds but, about right. Sounds yeah. About right. There's no doubt about that. So, yeah. but uh, we, we've seen all the highlights coach. We've seen them. We've seen them all. Have you? Oh, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. I'm sure he's probably watching them right now. Isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, How about this? I, up, in in, in arena football, if the ball goes into the stands, the people get to keep it, right? So I forget that the Chicago team was punting or kicking off one or the other. And the ball, we we're sitting on the 50-yard line because I think Chris got us great seats. And somehow the ball gets right kicked right to my daughter. So we have the football still to this day from no that game at home. I, awesome. I kid you not. Awesome. <laughs> I should have got him to, to autograph it, but you know, I, I wasn't sure if he'd get his name right. So I didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. You'd be I a mean, rich man right now. Northwestern, right? <laughs> right. Well, coach, we'll, we'll close it up here, but we always try to end each episode with this question just because it's something that all three of us were really passionate about. And it's a message that we're trying to push out there. And it's that number one, you can be a family guy. You can be a great father. You can also be a dang good football coach. You can work really hard. But what we see is, I mean, a lot of guys lose sight of that and they get so so caught up in in the game and working all these hours. But um, And you kind of already touched on it, but just to, to leave us and, and leave the listeners with just a piece of advice, how do, you, how, do, how do you marry those things together? Well, I think the, the big thing is to invite your family into – your football family. And, and yes. that's my, my daughters knew Chris, they knew everybody he played with 
uh, like Chris said, Chris would come over to my home. And so when my daughters, my daughters could be a part of the family of football, it was more fun for them because they now were way more engaged. And so was my wife. And so, you know, they had more enjoyment for what I did because they were a part of it. And I think sometimes, you know, it's hard for families until they get to know uh, the people that you're coaching. And so we always embraced the players as part of our family. And I always enjoyed that our, my players, including Chris, embraced my family as part of their family. And so I think that's a cool thing. And I know my daughters now are between 25 and 30, and they probably have 60 or 70 of my former players on their Facebook, Twitter, you know, all those kind of things. So I would say uh, it, to make it short and in, in include your family in everything you do football wise, and they will embrace what you do quite a bit better. Yes, sir. That's awesome. Well, coach, we certainly want to be respectful of your time. We know you got a lot going on today and, and throughout the, the entire off season. So we can't thank you enough for, for joining us on the coaches collective and we will be rooting for you guys and, and pit this coming season. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, I wish you guys luck and Chris Maleo. I'll talk to you again soon. I love you. Love you too, coach. We'll, uh, we'll catch up and uh, I'm proud of you, man. Congrats again. All right. We'll talk to you guys. Congrats, right. Thanks, Congrats coach. coach. Have a good one. Thanks.